0: All right, good afternoon, everybody. Uh, At the end of the presentation today, we have available paper copies of about a 10-page publication we've entitled Inmate 501. And so that's what I'm talking about today, Inmate 501. This is a real person. Inmate 501, that likely a man, uh, will be the first Wisconsin inmate sent out of state since the early 2000s. And today we're gonna have a discussion and I'm gonna make the case for an ongoing public debate about whether we decide to send inmates out of state, whether we decide to appropriate money and build a new prison, or whether Wisconsin should engage in meaningful criminal justice reform and avoid those two needs. Uh, This presentation, my career in the legislature, is to make the case for criminal justice reform. So today is all about how and why we should do that. Three objectives that I want to leave with you. First is to have a broader, better understanding of our criminal justice system and how and why we should be following population trends. Uh, Second, uh, to understand that we have two very different crises in our adult system, which is overcrowded, and our juvenile prison system, which has a high rate of vacancies. And then the third objective is for the legislators and the staff that are here today to take responsibility and solve the crisis. Uh, and we're gonna be guided by some other states that have already engaged in meaningful criminal justice reform. Before we begin, it's important that we frame the debate correctly. Prison overcrowding right now costs us money. In 2018, in the budget that was recently approved, there is an appropriation for $8.63 million to deal with prison overcrowding. That cost if, if more and more inmates are sent to prison, may be higher than the 8.6. But that's what we've budgeted for 2018, and I'm gonna walk through how we got there. Uh, okay, so I wanna just take a moment. Um, when I, I never really knew much about the criminal justice system. Growing up, I didn't really have a reason to know much about the criminal justice system. This is what I knew. So we got Gregory Peck, we got Atticus, uh, we got Jack McCoy in Law and Order, Uh, If you're really adventurous, we have cops. And so when I was a young person, I thought that this was the truth, that this was exactly the way the criminal justice system works and should work. Uh, As I grew up, I went to Marquette Law School from 06 to 09. During my time in law school, I worked for a Milwaukee County Circuit Court judge. My final year as an intern in the Milwaukee County District Attorney's Office. I thought they'd hire me. They didn't. Uh, I became a state public defender, uh, hired in late 2009. Uh, As a public defender, I represented adult criminal defendants uh, from anywhere a low-level misdemeanor like retail theft all the way up to homicide. Uh, And since being elected in 2012, I've served on a number of the committees that have debated the meaningful bills that have uh, impacted the criminal justice system. My view and knowledge of our justice and prison system today is a lot different than Sam Waterston and uh, Atticus Finch. And so that's, I I, I wanted to give you my own background because it's through this lens that uh, I am here today. So let's talk about a couple of myths. And this is really important so that we know we get our information right. First, nonviolent offenders or just marijuana smokers do not make up a large enough population in the prison system to have meaningful criminal justice and prison reform. If all we do is target reforms to marijuana smokers, we will not solve the overcrowding issues. Our reforms have to target a broader selection of prisoners than just those uh, nonviolent or drug offenders. The second myth is that it's all the Department of Corrections fault. That's wrong. In the state of Wisconsin, the DOC really does not have discretion. If an inmate Scott Krug is sentenced to prison tomorrow for two years. The DOC has to house him for two years. They can't let him go early, they can't hold him longer. Now they have some discretion on the parole system and the revocation system, and I'm gonna pick on the DOC, especially on revocations in a little bit, but largely it's not their fault, they are non-discretionary. And the third myth is that we have more people in prison today because there's more crime today, that's wrong. You see more headlines. There's maybe more sensation about violent crime. We did have a spike, especially in my town of Milwaukee in 2015, a spike in homicides and violent crime, but that has gone down in 2016 and down again in 2017. Uh, So this is my last slide of being really nice to the Department of Corrections, but they do some things very well. And in the last couple of years, they've really improved their uh, prison re-entry services. They're treating people uh, with mental health issues better, they're helping people get jobs at a greater rate and they really deserve to be applauded for that work. They've increased the use of evidence-based decision-making tools, risk assessments like Compass, so we're making smarter decisions in our prison system and, and what is unique here in Wisconsin is we have really good data. We have access, the DOC is, is pretty transparent the information I'm about to present to you on the prison system is all available from their website. So this is it. On, the, uh, on, on uh, my right is the homepage for the DOC. And you can see uh, down on the lower right corner, there is a tab for data and research. If you were to click on that, you can get to this uh, screen on the right. And I'd, I'd have you pay attention to the second gray bar on this screen. The second gray bar has weekly population reports. Every Friday, the DOC counts everybody in prison. They count which prison they're in and and how many we have total. And so, if you want, uh, these weekly reports are every Friday for the last couple of years. And it's fascinating to look at the growth of our adult system and the shrinking of our juvenile system. And uh, you don't have to look it up, I cheated, and you're going to get the final answer here in a minute. Uh, This is what the weekly population report looks like on the screen of your computer, and it's it's really tough to read, but important here are these numbers. The prison system, and we're talking about adults here, is designed to hold about 17 and a half thousand inmates, and yet this is Friday, November 24th, had about 23 and a half thousand. So the way we get to that higher number is that cells built for one prisoner have two, some cells have three, uh, we have reports of some inmates sleeping six, seven, eight to a room, especially at Te Chita, the women's prison. So our prisons, the actual facilities, are already overcrowding or overcrowded. But that's, this, this difference between design capacity and total population is not the point of Inmate 501. The point of 501 is the number at the very bottom, 448. And that is, this is a scary number, 448, is the number of inmates serving a state sentence in a contract facility. Contract simply means a jail that the DOC has to contract with to house overflow inmates. So, 448 too many. They're sitting in county jails tonight serving state prison sentences. And so here's the growth, but 501 gets its name because Throughout all of our counties, the DOC reports that we have a total capacity of 500 contract beds. We're using 448 of them, so we have 52 more spots, and then that next person, number 501, will have to go somewhere else. And we'll either build a new facility, which will cost lots of money, or we'll send that person out of state, potentially to a private prison, which will also cost a lot of money. So, taking those weekly reports, uh, this is simply a graph of every Friday's count of contract beds from January 2016, when the DOC needed about 50 beds, to last Friday, when they needed about 450. So, you can see we are on a slow and steady prison growth. Uh, This is where we're going. The blue line is simply taking the average monthly growth in contract beds. And extending it into 2018 and 2019. The dotted line is the DOC's projection as they've reported in the 2016 agency budget request to the governor. So they believe that in 2018 our contract beds will exceed capacity and by 2019 you can see that dotted line shoots way up. So let's talk money. This is really expensive. So a contract bed cost $51.50 per day per inmate. So today is uh, November 29, 2017. If we have 448 inmates sleeping in county jails through a contract tonight, the DOC will spend $23,000 to house these overflow inmates. That's $23,000 general purpose revenue going to counties every single day just to house overflow inmates. So when we talk about the ongoing cost of prison overcrowding, the cost of doing nothing, it's $23,000 a day, and that number could grow as you saw in those, in those graphs. So we've appropriated uh, 8.6 million in 2018, but remember that dotted line spiked way up in 2019? Because of that, the DOC asked the governor and the legislature for $31 million to deal with overcrowding, they received 8.6, So if they are correct, if the DOC's projections are correct, we're going to have a $22 million shortfall in just the contract bed funding in 2019. And that is apart from conversations about building a new facility. So overcrowding costs us a lot of money. Uh, And and this, just to put into context, the overall Department of Corrections budget is over $1.2 billion, more this year than the university system's entire GPR budget. So let's shift gears. We got it, the adults are overcrowded. The juvenile prison system is the exact opposite problem. This is an aerial photo of Lincoln Hills. Note the beautiful fall foliage. Uh, You can see these kind of brown roofed buildings. Those are cottages where youth are kept. Uh, The main buildings in the middle, cafeteria, gymnasium, the school, et cetera. So this prison was built to house about 500 juvenile boys. Uh, Today, it has about 140. Uh, We get close to 70% vacant, so we got this cool little X. If you were to walk around the prison today, uh, these these cottages are empty. They're mothballed, waiting for the possibility that more inmates will come, although the trend is in the opposite direction. This makes Lincoln Hills inefficient. We're using less than half of the prison, and that has some long-term consequences. So historically, we had 1,000 or more juveniles incarcerated nationally and in Wisconsin. We learned about uh, human brain development. We understood better that incarcerating juveniles doesn't work very well in terms of reducing the crime rate. And so our population dropped and dropped and dropped. Eventually, we consolidated. We closed uh, Southern Oaks and Ethan Allen. And we have one prison now, Lincoln Hills in Copper Lake, uh, I refer to that facility. They're two separate, separated by a fence. Uh, I refer in this presentation and in, in the work 501 as simply Lincoln Hills. The girl side, Copper Lakes, is quite small, about two dozen girls incarcerated at Copper Lakes, and that population is much more stable than the boy side. So when we consolidated, We had uh, more than 250, uh, roughly 300 juveniles incarcerated at Lincoln Hills. And again, we talked about the capacity over 500. I'm not gonna belabor this point. Uh, People in the state of Wisconsin have lived the history of the investigations and uh, embroiled saga of Lincoln Hills over the years. Uh, What's more important just to mention is that a number of these investigations and lawsuits are not settled. Uh, So there are ongoing litigation involving Lincoln Hills. What's more important, and what I really want to leave you with today, is that Lincoln Hills is not efficient. And here's the declining population. I took these numbers from that same weekly report on the DOC's website, so you can go back and check my math. January of 2016, over 250 boys at Lincoln Hills. November 24th, uh, there was about 135 boys. So over the last two years, a slow, steady decline in the number of juveniles at Lincoln Hills. Declining population is a problem for Lincoln Hills because of the funding mechanism used. Lincoln Hills is a program revenue funded institution, meaning that the county that the juvenile comes from pays a per day rate per juvenile. So as the population declines, so does the revenue available to fund and staff the prison. So. In 2017 today, Lincoln Hills cost $292 per juvenile per day, which is about $106,000 per year. In 2018, under the state budget, because of declining population rates, we had to increase the daily rate per juvenile. So we're set to go up about $100 more per day per juvenile. Uh, This new rate will be about $142,000 per year per juvenile, uh, and that difference is about $35,000 per year. Counties did not receive an additional $35,000 to fund the increase in the cost of Lincoln Hills. So what will happen is that counties are further incentivized to not send juveniles to Lincoln Hills because of the increased cost further reducing the population, which further increases the cost, and this is a cycle of unsustainability. The lower the number, the higher the cost, the higher the cost, the lower the number. You got it. So uh, I'm not standing here just uh, all doom and gloom. It's actually fairly simple. We can engage in some meaningful uh, criminal justice reform and follow some peer states. This has been a surprisingly bipartisan issue. You have Cory Booker and Rand Paul, the ACLU and the Koch brothers, Evan Goike, and, I'm waiting, but we're gonna get a majority party member to join me in this fight. Um, And so what I'm doing today is introducing three individual proposals to begin meaningful criminal justice reform in Wisconsin. The first is to close Lincoln Hills and turn it into an adult treatment facility. Uh, In its place, we will use a model of juvenile incarceration that will have smaller regional and risk-based facilities. The, the benefit of turning Lincoln Hills into an adult prison, you saw 448 overflowing into county jails. That's, Lincoln Hills is large enough to accommodate the entirety of that $23,000 a day that are, are going to the counties. These smaller juvenile facilities will be safer for staff and juveniles, uh, will be able to uh, target more individualized treatment to the children's needs and risks, which further reduces recidivism and crime. So, uh, this is a concept that is sometimes hard uh, to talk about and understand, but I want to talk about risk for a second. In, it's important to break down Lincoln Hills into smaller facilities because we don't want risk levels mixing. So uh, my parents talked to me about uh, hanging out with the right crowd. right? So all of uh, we've all been children or parents in this room. Um, We know that we should avoid the bad kids like Eddie Haskell or peer pressure. Incarcerating low-risk juveniles and placing them in a facility where they interact with high-risk juveniles makes the low-risk kids worse. Good kids don't make the bad kid better. This kid isn't going to talk those two kids out of drinking. It's the other way around. And we know that from our childhood or anybody that's a parent in this room. So the adult system understands this well. So Krug's been sentenced to prison. He's serving. He's incarcerated in Wood County Jail. Uh, tomorrow the judge sentences him to prison, two years. Um, he would first go to Dodge. Dodge Correctional in Dodge County, makes sense, is the first destination for state prisoners. And Krug would spend about 90 days at Dodge in a classification unit and they would look into his history, his employment, his crimes, his tattoos. They would quiz him on his needs and his risks, and they would come up with the appropriate place to put Krug. If he was a maximum risk inmate, he'd be at a max prison like Green Bay or Wapon. If he was medium, he'd go to Fox Lake or Red Granite. If he was low, he would go to Oak Hills. So the adult system understands and acts according to risks and need. In the juvenile system, we don't have this. This is it. This is where the lower risk kids go. This is where the medium risk kids go. This is where the high risk kids go. And the DOC does their best to separate by cottage. So you have the kind of dorm life with like risked kids, but you don't have, you still have one gymnasium, one cafeteria, one school building where you have uh, risk levels mixing. Now to go back, another important point on having these multiple tiers is for staff and inmate safety maximum risk inmates can through good behavior reduce their risk level a minimum risk facility has additional freedoms more rec time it's a more comfortable place so maximum risk inmates try to become medium risk inmates who try to become low risk inmates and this system works the opposite if you're a low risk inmate and you have conduct violations the Department of Corrections could put you in a medium-risk prison or a max. And so you have these inherent uh, behavioral controls and incentives or sanctions that are available. But again, here, we don't have that. So if a juvenile gets a conduct report, they get in a fight, there is one cottage, Krieger Cottage, which is solitary or restrictive housing, and that juvenile may be in restrictive housing for seven days, and then they're back. We, with smaller facilities, have a, would have a better ability to move risk and need. Uh, in its place, this beautiful facility would become an adult treatment prison. Uh, and the proposal that we're introducing today expands the earned release program, uh, making Lincoln Hills a treatment facility. This is not a new concept to Wisconsin. Our last state budget, the most important. The the best part of the budget in terms of criminal justice reform was the addition of 250 new treatment beds. Uh, Treatment beds in the earned release program reduce crime through treatment. They reduce overcrowding through getting out slightly early upon successful completion. Uh, There are 5,900 inmates eligible for AODA treatment in the earned release program that are on the waiting list. So I talked about overcrowding. second and separate list of men waiting for treatment. 5,900 ready to do this tomorrow if we had additional capacity. Uh, New Jersey and Governor Chris Christie recently closed one of their prisons and did this. They turned it into a treatment facility. And Governor Christie spent a lot of time during his uh, final state of the state address as governor of New Jersey talking about criminal justice reform and the positive movements that they've had Closing a facility and opening it for treatment. If New Jersey Republicans can figure this out, we can do it in Wisconsin. Second bill, reforming the revocation process and what are called crimeless revocations. So to back up, inmates in Wisconsin serve what's called a bifurcated sentence. Some time behind bars, some time on extended supervision or what we call papers. Every inmate that does a prison term also has some supervision that follows. Revocation is the term for when there's violations of the rules of supervision and the person is returned or reincarcerated. So, this bill, reforming crimeless revocations, would say that when there's only a rule violation, not a new crime, the, the individual could not be incarcerated any longer than 30 days. So, if a rule is violated, there could be some jail time but it would not be prison time. So every inmate in Wisconsin on papers has at least 18 rules of supervision, some are much longer. Uh, I've highlighted a couple of the non-criminal rules. So it submit a monthly uh, and any other such relative information, inform your agent your whereabouts, uh, obtain approval from your agent uh, prior to borrowing money or purchasing on credit, obtain approval from your agent before purchasing, trading, selling a car. My favorite one at the bottom, report as directed for scheduled and unscheduled appointments. I don't know how you can possibly report to an unscheduled appointment, but that's a rule. And so what the bill says is that for violations of these rules that are not crimes, the DOC can no longer send people to prison. They can sanction them with jail time, but they cannot return them to a longer prison sentence. Uh, this is uh, information from the DOC again on uh, who's going into prison, the admissions by type. Uh, pay attention to the gold line, that top line, the revocation only line. You can follow it along. In, in, in recent years we've had roughly 3,000 inmates returned to prison. Prison is, det- is, is defined as one year or more, so people do not go to prison for three months, they go for 12 months or more. So this gold line of new prisons uh, admissions from revocation only. This gold line is what the bill targets. According to the DOC, about three out of the four revocation only admissions in 2015 had some kind of criminal behavior, likely an arrest. Maybe it was uh, driving without a license or some kind of municipal warrant. Uh, So when I'm calculating my bill, we've used the 21.5% that had absolutely no crime associated or no criminal behavior associated with the revocation. You have absconding, using alcohol or drugs, uh, possibly not uh, participating in treatment or violating no contact order. The bill, as we're introducing today, creates some exceptions for violating no contact order or absconding. We retain the DOC's power to revoke. If somebody walks away from their responsibilities, leaves the state of Wisconsin, should be able to revoke them. But if they're continuing to battle their alcohol addiction, we should put them in treatment and not prison. And that's the aim, those inmates are the aim of the bill. So non-criminal behavior would not result in prison. This would save us millions of dollars from reducing the number of people being returned on non-criminal revocations. This bill is not original. Uh, I admit that I used Senator John Pruce, a Republican fellow Marquette grad uh, in Michigan this year, You can see uh, uh, Senate Bill 13 passed on bipartisan terms, signed into law this spring by Republican Governor Snyder, does the exact same thing that the bill I'm introducing today does. Republicans in Michigan figured out how to do this. The final bill of the package being introduced today is an expansion of the Earned Release Program. Now, I talked about that. We, we talked about converting Lincoln Hills to a treatment facility. You learned about the 5,900 people on the waiting list for alcohol or other drug treatment. What this bill does is allows the Department of Corrections to qualify non-addiction programming, but still valid, proven risk reduction programming as part of the Earned Release Program. So if you're in prison and you don't have an addiction, Earned Release doesn't do anything for you. But if you don't have a high school education, what this bill does is it incentivizes. You get your GED, maybe the Department of Correction takes a little bit of time off. You become a certified welder, a skilled trade, behind the fence, and maybe you get six months off of of your sentence. And what we do is we allow no more than 15% of the incarceration to be reduced, and any time that's reduced is added to extended supervision or to papers at the end, so the inmate Ends up serving the entirety of the sentence, should they reoffend they 're still uh, allowed to be reincarcerated for the entirety of the sentence, so that time doesn 't disappear it 's just moved from behind the prison fence to uh, back to the community. Mississippi, not where I always look for model legislation when I try to introduce bills. M- Mississippi had a very uh, comprehensive uh, criminal justice reform bill, house bill five eight five. Part of Mississippi's bill was this 85-15 percent earned release good time like the bill that we've just introduced. I know this is a broken record, but if Republicans in Mississippi can figure this out, we can do it here. And you can see the cost savings to Mississippi are massive. Leading the pack in all of this nationally, that's really talked the, the, the most frequent state that we talk about when we talk about conservative states in America reforming their criminal justice system is Texas. So Texas has done uh, more criminal justice legislation than I can fit onto one slide, but what I really want to point out is their savings are just enormous. So they are closing prisons. Texas has closed four prisons, they're slated to close four more, and crime in Texas is down it's down faster or at a greater rate than the national average. So we can, if Republicans in Texas, where they still have capital punishment, can figure out criminal justice reform, they are not a soft on crime state. They're just smart on crime, and we can follow their lead. So let me tell you, just let me back up. Texas didn't do this because they really felt in the kindness of their heart that they wanted to reform the criminal justice system. They did it because they had to. They did it because their state budgets were ballooning, their prison costs were eating up more, larger and larger chunks of their state budget. Well, guess what, we're there. We are at the same cliff Texas was at four or five years ago. So I'm not mad that we haven't reformed our criminal justice system in the last couple of years. We haven't necessarily had the urgency to do that, but we are there today. So again, $8.6 million GPR, 2018 just for overcrowding. An estimate uh, from the Department of Corrections to build a new uh, 1,300 capacity uh, maximum security prison up by Green Bay would cost $300 million to build, um, plus the annual operational costs of staffing, housing, heating, providing food, etc. So we're going to be spending money unless we reform. So our next steps uh, is today. I'm literally when I'm done, we're gonna press send on an email with three bills in the co-sponsorship. And to the legislators that are here, I would ask that you read the bills and I ask for your support. Consider signing on publicly as a co-author. For the staff members that are here, if you would pester your boss to read the co-sponsor and consider signing on. No state has done meaningful criminal justice system with one party alone. This has been a bipartisan vote everywhere, and I hope that we have that same result here in Wisconsin. So These three bills will be introduced, Uh, we will save money, the big, big money will be avoided for building a new prison and and not having to rely on those contract beds every day, and more treatment, a smarter juvenile system will reduce crime. So final slide, Uh, these are a whole bunch of sources. Uh, that we used for the other states. Um, What I'll do now is take questions. I also will have the uh, handouts, the actual uh, paper copy of MA501 handed out momentarily, but I'm happy to answer any questions uh, from folks that are here. Thank you again for your time and attention. Questions?